the fifth day of Christmas, Moose celebrates his 100th episode, uniting the families of Dracula, Bram Stoker's great-grandnephew Dacre and Bela Lugosi's granddaughter, Lynn. Hello everyone, I am Billy Peck, otherwise known as Zombilly, and we are officially on the road to five years with the 100th episode of Moose's Monster Mash. These are big, big milestones for a podcaster. You hit 100 episodes, that's a big deal. You hit five years, that's a real big deal as well. That will be happening this upcoming Halloween season, October 2024. So when I say we are on the road to five years, get ready because Moose has all kinds of amazing things planned and 100 episodes is just the start. Now I can go on and on and on as you may know if you've heard any of the eight episodes that I have been on that I can keep the story going forever, but I'm going to try and reel it in and just say that I am very proud of what Moose has accomplished with 100 episodes as part of this Moose's Monster Mash podcast and what he has done for himself in the entertainment industry. Congratulations on 100 episodes, and we will see everybody just around the corner for year five of Moose's Monster Mash. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to, well, I guess a milestone episode of Moose's Monster Mash. This is, in fact, the 100th episode. So you guys have listened to me for a while. For my 100th episode, I couldn't think of a better topic to bring up than to dive into why Dracula is the lasting monster. Why is Dracula the go-to monster in the monster verse? There, there's Dracula, there's vampires. Everything always goes back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, Bela Lugosi's portrayal of Dracula. And I couldn't think of anyone better or anyone I would prefer to have come talk with me about this than the co-creators of the Stokerverse and grandnephew of Bram Stoker, Dacre Stoker and Chris McCauley, and granddaughter of Bela Lugosi, Lynn Lugosi Sparks. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for Thank having you, us, Paul. Paul. Absolutely. Congratulations on the 100th show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. We got ground zero here, don't we, for uh, monsters. So yeah, you, you got the right people on board to, to brainstorm. Yeah, this is really, I mean, this is a story that was published back in 1897. 
and here we are in 2023 and it's still relevant. There's still, I mean, there's still Dracula things coming out. I mean, Dacre, you and Chris are building, you know, a Stoker verse with new Dracula content on the regular. You've written more Dracula books. So, I mean, you've kept that alive. Lynn, you've, you know, through, you know, licensing and things, you keep uh, your grandfather's image of his portrayal alive. And what I've noticed, and I talked to Lynn briefly about this the other day, uh, I, I'm go losing my hearing in my right ear a little bit. And so I'm watching things with captionings now. And anytime somebody is portraying Dracula on TV, you know, you'll see them whip the cape, you know, like whip the cape up. And the captioning says, imitates Bela Lugosi. Not imitates Dracula, it's imitates Bela Lugosi. <laughs> you know, so it just, it, it astounded me that those two are so interwoven that that is Dracula. And here we are so, so many years later. And it still has like the strongest fan base of any monster or horror creation or literary creation mm. aside from like the Bible. Mm. You know, it just, it, it, it's astounding. Yeah. Yeah. It is quite amazing to think that my grandfather, who I never did get to meet, was able to take this literary character and personify it so well in his own unique way that people, even though they might not know his name, they associate his face with Dracula, even younger people. And that's, you know, due to the fact that he has, has such a strong fan base. And over the years, um, you know, people have just uh, so kindly perpetuated his legacy through the, you know, the fans, magazines, famous monsters, you know, every year at Halloween, you know, the movies are played everywhere now streamed everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so the younger generation have also come to associate Bailagosi's name and face as Dracula. Yeah. And if I may go a step farther, you know, both in our own ways as, as, you know, descendants of, of these, these two incredible people, Bram Stoker and Bela, who have, who have given so much to literature, popular culture and so on. I think we've both seen in, in, you know, over a century, the, the image or the inspiration from our relatives go off in so many different directions. And that has positive and negative to it. You know, yeah. in a positive way, it's really cool to see that something that was in our blood uh, has, has affected the world um, in, in very, you know, positive although horrific ways, you know, yeah. get, get, get people, you know, just the, you know, a fantasy world and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's interesting to see the impact that they've mm -hmm. had, but sometimes that impact and, and, you know, Lynn, you can speak to this, but you know, you, you and I are out there trying also to sort of remind people 
of who the person was. In my case, it's minding right. who the creator was. And yeah. that's where my buddy Chris McCauley comes in. It's like, we've seen the vampire that Bram Stoker, he didn't he didn't start all vampires. Now that was John Polidari and Reimer and mm -hmm. Le Fanu. And, and also the fact that vampires existed in a sense of reality, a perceived reality, you know, people right. concerned about, you know, from these superstitions and folklore. Mm -hmm. But we've seen these go off in so many directions. It's like, we, we got to pull it back a little bit and let people know who these this person was, you know, right. that started this. Mm -hmm. But but also, in, in, in our case, you know, who the Dracula was that Bram started, which is different, e even than your grandfather and, and you know, slightly more sophisticated right. suave devonair there's nothing right. nothing wrong with that but it's like i just think there's a feel and, right. and a desire to go back to the basics where did bram get his information from what inspired him what was his dracula like right. he's certainly not like the ones that stephanie meyer created you know these others yeah. and again there's nothing wrong with those it's just it's taken it's allowed the dracula that we now understand it started it all and then morphed into Bell Lugosi mm -hmm. and Christopher Lee and Jack yeah. Palance and all the others has changed, which gives us a lot of fodder mm -hmm. to go say, hey, all that's good, but you really want to know what it's like because as 127 years later, Macaulay and Stoker can kind of tell you some of the stuff that went into mm -hmm. all of this yeah. and where where it came from, which you know I'm sure you sort of do, do in your own way. I know you've authorized a couple of, uh, or maybe it's only one biography that's come out and you know that that's sort of exciting to unleash new information on new readers about who the guy was it started all this yeah i mean i think paul when we were talking the other day um i was thinking about you know why is dracula so popular still today why is that character why are there so many remakes why does do does dracula and vampires appear um as analogies for politics or you know science or you know, all sorts of uh, analogies for the vampire, but Dracula in as the character, you know, I think Bela was meant to be that role. He was meant to play that character. Um, just the area of the world that he grew up near Transylvania, he grew up with uh, the folklore, very real, you know, with the Roma people uh, in the area. Um, that was part of his childhood, the the beliefs in, in the vampire and, and how you killed the vampire. So, you know, he went on, he, he wasn't a horror actor on the stage. And so you think, what, why did he, why did he get that role? You know, he had to fight for it for the film. But, you know, you think back over a person's life and you think, he must have been made to play that role. And the way that he played it, I think when we, Dacre, when you talk about all the other versions, Twilight and, and the more modern versions, you know, I think really those are a reflection of his portrayal. It's the sexy vampire. It's the beautiful vampire. It's the, that's the, almost the, the vampire that can walk among you you know, and, and not look monstrous. Right. And right. so that's different from, from Stoker's story. But I think the, that version of the, the vampire is a direct result of Vela's interpretation of it. Absolutely. And, and I say this many times, you know, the, the stage in England and U S 
would never put, in those days, Bram Stoker's Dracula right. on, on the stage. You know, right. he didn't, it, it was when, and you know, you, when your, your grandfather put on the tux, you know, the mm -hmm. dinner jacket, and the medallion mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. Um, that instantly created, you know, a, a different look than Bram created. But I don't think he could have. It right. couldn't have survived, as as we all know. Back yeah. in those days, right. they, they just it wouldn't it would have been a no show. Yeah. So it, it had to morph a little bit. Right. Um, and what I think is cool, if we can touch on this, because as Chris McCauley sitting there, we have this kind of conversation a lot. One of the things, Lynn, I recently found was that Oscar Wilde's mother wrote a book about Irish mythology and folklore, and we've got Chris here, who's 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 in uh, Northern Ireland. He knows all these folklores upside down and backwards. So we'll get him to jump in in a moment. I want to but find she that actually book. wrote a book. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Cause, cause there was actually a copy of it in Bram Stoker's library when his library was sold by his wife two years uh -huh. after he died. And I've seen the catalog of the books by Christie's who sold it, sold it all off. So it, it's uh -huh. easy. You, you can find it and you can see all the books. So I purchased a copy of the book. Uh -huh. You know, you not. I didn't purchase that book. That's gone. But exactly yeah. the same edition. Yeah. And it said that, uh, and I think this is where Bram got it. That Lady Jane Wilde said that Irish folklore and superstition have have, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, have vampires very similar to the ones that Emily Gerard has uncovered in Transylvania. Mm. So, I'm going to ask Chris in a moment. Chris, what do you know about Irish vampires? Because obviously the Bela vampire comes from the what Emily Gerard wrote about in Transylvania. That's part of Bram's notes. That's part of his research. But now it's looking like it was a merger, really, of things he learned about in Ireland. So, Chris, give us a little, uh, uh, you know, five minute tour on Irish folklore and superstition with blood sucking creatures. It's not all the little leprechauns and pots of gold, is it? But, well, <laughs> the leprechauns do have something to do with it because uh, they're evil bastards. And they're not there. They're not the nice, cute, cuddly little creatures that the, the Irish tourist world would have you believe. They're part of the Fey folk, and the Fey folk you don't mess about with them. They are the gods, the gaps. They're the gods, the doorways. Uh, actually, part of where Halloween comes from as well, with the knocking on the door and people opening doors and giving gifts to keep to keep the fairies away, to keep the Fey folk away. Um, but yeah, I would be convinced that uh, Bram took an awful lot from Irish mythology. Uh, back in the era of the, of the High Kings, there was a tribe called the the, the Children of the Danu, and there was a reptilian uh, tribe that came from the sea called the Fomorians. And the Fomorians came to take over Ireland, and the children of the tribe of, uh, of Danu fought the Fomorians, and the Fomorians would not die. The only way they could die was through uh, Ashwood, through the heart, and have their head cut off. Mm. It's the only way of doing it. The other famous familiar, yep. yeah. The other, the other sort of, uh, the other sort of story in Irish mythology that kind of relates to this is Avertak, who is a sort of a bloodthirsty Irish tyrant. So um, there was a group of peasants in in County Derry. And there they rebelled against this despotic sort of chieftain called Abertak. And with the help of a, a neighboring chieftain, they attempt they attempted to kill him on multiple occasions. And the operative word here is being attempt. Yeah. So every time they tried to kill him, 
you know, Albert Act, thought he was dead and buried, he rose from the grave and demanded bowls of blood, uh, sort of in recompense. So in a final act of desperation, uh, the tribe, uh, the Celtic chieftain has to uh, consult the Christian hermit and the proper remedy for dealing with a member of the walking dead is given. So they run him through with a sword made of yew wood, bury him upside down, surround his grave, grave of thorns, and then for good measure, they top the grave off with a large rock. So this has the sort of the, mm -hmm. um, the desired effect, Abertach never rises again. Now, if you have a look, uh, James Joyce actually talks about the vampire as well, and he talks mm -hmm. about this, about mm -hmm. this character. Um, there's there's a there's a book called the Irish Vampire, uh, which yeah. I would urge everybody to read, so you can see a little bit about that. Now, this grave of Abertach still exists in Garva in County Derry today, and every farmer of that field that has tried to move that stone or move move the tree that's on top of it has had failure throughout the centuries. So more recently, we've had farmers that have tied uh, rope around a tree and put a tractor, put, tried to put the rope on the tractor, the tractor drives off by itself. Uh, farmers trying to cut the tree down with chainsaws. As soon as the chainsaw hits the tree, the chainsaw stops. So there's lots of little things about that story that kind of stand out. Um, Was that recently? They re those, are the, those are the recent attempts, but for the last so many hundreds of years, farmers try to do this and they can't there's all sorts of reasons why they, they can't do it so it's very very strange it's a strange sort of it's a strange sort of area you know mm -hmm. um something that's, that's something that's really interesting as well is that there's a there's a memorial sculpture found in an irish church in st, uh, st. patrick's church of ireland in monaghan which is known as the parting glance and it portrays a woman on her deathbed while her grieving husband is restrained by a friend and the sculpture is dedicated to one Lucy Ann Westerner. Oh. Her husband, Lord Warner William Westerner, which is where we believe that Bram may have got that name from. Mm -hmm. Um so that's another another sort of um another sort of link there as well. And Decker and myself have also been doing little uh parts of um exploration around the cholera epidemic that um, Bram's mother, Charlotte, uh, mm -hmm. was, had witnessed. And we believe that there's links there with the cholera epidemic and Sligo mm -hmm. uh, with Dracula. So for me, it, it, it it's really a no-brainer as an Irish person with, with Bram Stoker being a, one of the quintessential Irish writers that he draws upon the wealth of Irish mythology to create the ultimate vampire. Mm -hmm. um, there are also the vampires of the bogs that would drag you down, the bog vampires. And they've become popularized now in uh, the Preacher comic book series or or uh, the TV mm -hmm. series where you actually have an Irish vampire called Cassidy and he gets dragged into a bog in the 1700s and then becomes a vampire. But those mm -hmm. those creatures uh, are, exist in Irish mythology. So it's, it, Lynn, it's interesting. So why do, you think, why do you think they, uh, that Bram maybe having that background set the his story in Transylvania? Well, as, as I said earlier, there's no question it was a merger. Um, mm -hmm. the, the one book, I mean, there's 26 books we discovered in the London Library attributed to Bram. 
and they didn't have the little cards in the back, you know, with the names. They, it was actually, I think I might have told this to you before, the, the guy that ran the library found all these strange markings in the margins. Yes. And he contact, contacted me and said, Dacre, can you help me verify if these yeah. are actually, you know, your great granduncle? Because mm. in the back of Bram's notes that live in Philadelphia Rosenbach Museum, he listed all of his sources, just like a university student doing a paper. Right. Right. And so he took this book and walked through the aisles of the London Library, and he noticed all 26 books were there. He took them all out, put them onto his cart, brought them back to his office and started <laughs> leafing through them and, yeah. and put little post-it notes uh -huh. where there were strange little pencil markings right. and some of them underlining things, some of them check marking things. And that's when he started looking at the notes themselves and go, oh, He's looking for vampire. He's talking volcano. He's talking trance. He's talking mm -hmm. symbolism, all these different books. And it all kind of started coming together. And then he contacted me and another fellow, Robert 18 Basang, that were working mm -hmm. on an annotated Dracula. Mm -hmm. And and we had seen the notes. We had seen the typescript. And, and we put two and two together, mm -hmm. plus the fact that Bram had actually given, Bram's son had given two books of his, of his father's mm -hmm. to the London Library after Bram died. And they contain the exact same markings. Know. Interesting. So the, the the to answer your question, Lynn, one of the books that Bram saw uh, was, and he, and he mentioned it in the one uh, interview he ever gave, or that's mm -hmm. been discovered, mm -hmm. about Emily Gerard, who who uh, Oscar Wilde's mother mentioned, Transylvanian mm -hmm. Superstitions, was uh -huh. the essay she wrote. She expanded it into two books. Land, land beyond the forest they were in the london library they had check marks and things uh -huh. in it so I, I think what he did was everything chris just told you and, and their listeners was it, it was included in bram's consciousness as a young right. boy i think these right. type of stories went into his his mm -hmm. mother told him his nanny told him as well right. as the cholera epidemic in sligo but then he started in earnest writing the book and outlining the book and i've analyzed these notes to death i just finished doing eight sessions in okay. Bram Stoker Festival, uh, hour and a half long sessions dissecting Dracula. So it's very fresh in my mind what he saw, where he saw it, when he saw it, and the progress progression of the writing. And so when he, he came across this book by Emily Gerard, he switched the story from being set in Austria. You could see the crossouts, anything to do with Austria and Styria. He switched the name of Count Dracula from Count Vampire to Count Dracula, Dracula. Be because of this Transylvanian superstitions and one other book by William Wilkinson. So that was to me the perfect merger between mm -hmm. the Irish vampire, as Chris said, and, and the Transylvanian one. Yeah. And so my question back to you is growing up, you know, what what did what did your father tell you about what your grandfather may have known? Did did Bella come to America with some of these superstitions of Transylvanian? Uh, vampires and, and Nosferatu and Stregoi, did that make its way to you as a young girl and terrorize you as a little kid? <laughs> no, it really didn't. I mean, we just they, um, didn't discuss those kind of things at all. Even with my grandmother, who I was, you know, had a nice relationship with, we didn't talk about my grandfather almost at all, other than maybe he mentioned that, you know, he was an actor and he played all these roles in, in Dracula. Yeah. Um, but I was a little, I was young. I, I wouldn't have thought to ask those things. But, you know, my dad did like reading us stories, but we didn't ever read, he never read us any Dracula stories or vampire stories like that. So, in fact, the, really the only 
story that I have appears in the biography that will be released soon. And that is just Bela talking about, and it's a quote that he was talking about, how could he, he, he and his father um, kind of butted heads on what he should do in his life. His father wanted him to be a businessman, go to school. Bela wanted to be an actor. And so they they butted heads on that. And, and what, at one point, Bela said, how can you take, how can I even take him seriously when he believes in these silly superstitions like vampires and that? So, uh, wow. you know, wow. he, so he obviously knew about them and his, his yeah. family obviously, you know, retold the stories or had some sort of belief in them. So that that's all I can can relate to that as far as what Bela might have thought about those that folklore. Well it's interesting because you know the, the folklore and, and and Paul you asked this probably what about 20 minutes ago and, and, I, <laughs> and Lynn just joggled this question is why is this why is Dracula the quintessential monster? And and one of my uh thoughts that I've shared with people over the years and somebody, you know, in one of these interviews said, geez, you know, Frankenstein and, and the Invisible Man and the Swamp Monster and, and the Mothman, all these other guys, you know, kind of come out of really interesting imagination. But Dracula comes out of perceived reality. Yeah. And it is so deep and thick in, in hundreds of cultures. And Bram Stoker, in that one interview I mentioned, discovered 13 of them he mentioned them in that interview and so when chris and i do of do all of our research and our writing in, in the games and everything we do in the stoker verse we, we go back to some of these cultures and go okay what's in france what's in mm -hmm. greece what's in germany what's mm -hmm. you know in, in, in the asian countries what's here what's there mm -hmm. so it's it's really quite interesting because bram laid that out for us in that one interview that many mm -hmm. of these cultures believed in these things and of course mm -hmm. you know it makes sense right. medicine could not explain it. Science couldn't explain it. Yeah. Religion couldn't explain the fact that people were being perceived to come out of the grave and sucking life from the others. When in fact, for the listeners that don't know it, it's all about germ theory and people not understanding contagious mm -hmm. disease. And, mm -hmm. and they would you know wrap it up in their mind as a superstition or folklore about mm -hmm. the spirit of the dead in some form or another coming yeah. out and taking the life. So when 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 you think of the monster that evolved from that and that each country sprinkling him with their own sort of local um, theories and local thoughts that's why the monster appears so real and mm -hmm. he's real in your he's real in your mind because we worry about death he's real in your thoughts cuz you know immortality is not such a bad thing if you think about it mm -hmm. for some it might be more attractive mm -hmm. than others but because that monster has such a interesting sort of vibe and touching a nerve on reality. That's why I think he continues to go on and on and on. We don't get tired of him because it's a real thought. It's yeah. a real issue. And I think too, uh, you know, of course, Bela playing it on the stage, uh, you know, he reached a lot of people. They was, you know, 33 weeks on Broadway. So he, this, this story reached a lot of people, but it wasn't until he brought it to the universal film that people, not all people might have known the history or known the folklore, but now they had this, this monster yeah. to be worried about, you know, that how did you kill it? You know, how did you deal with it? You know, could, could he be walking among us and, and with us not even knowing it? So I think it, it, 
because Baylor was the one that brought it to, to the screen in that way, it had a huge impact on culture, right? On, on viewers. Well, it also like, had a huge impact on book sales because I think yeah. people, I mean, th this is what I, and again, Macaulay will give you a chance. And so I'm sorry, buddy, but you know, we know that the sales of the books skyrocketed uh, at the near the end of the time on stage and, and, and then on screen yeah. because people then go out of interest. Oh yeah. What's this all about anyway? Right. And they go back and read it. So sorry, Chris, I cut you off, man. No, you're fine. One, one of the interesting things about Dracula is it's a very theological book mm -hmm. and it, it presents a, a theological problem. So, mm -hmm. you know, from, from Genesis, uh, Leviticus, um, Galatians, you're, you're not to drink blood because blood is appropriate. Pro Pissiation of 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 life. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to take it. Now, whenever I always ask people, uh, and you know the answer to this, Decker, but I always ask people, well, why why does silver, why silver so unattractive to vampires? What is it? Mm -hmm. Very few people realize that it's Judas Iscariot. It's the thirty pieces of silver. Likewise, the cross, the the Christian cross, it's a symbol of the sun. It's an mm -hmm. equinox. When Christ dies, the sun disappears. And interestingly enough, when Christ dies, the dead rise from the grave. That happens in the Bible. There are theological themes that run through Dracula as well. They're very, very, very powerful. Um, and uh, I think that resonates still with people. I think those old stories, those old uh, conundrums, those old uh, uh, theological truths still re reside, still uh, resonate very powerfully. Um, you know, and I, I, I grew up with with uh, uh, with Bella's uh, interpretation and loved it. And I grew up with Christopher Lee's as well. Those were the two. Those were my two yeah. favorites. Yeah. Right. I think that's. Uh, I, I think that Dracula. But personally, I don't think Dracula was survived without them. I think Dracula had to change, and yeah, it had to change. The, the character had to change to fit the audience that would mm -hmm. be receptive, would be receptive to it. Yeah. But in each of the in each of the portrayals, those truths that we're talking about, the myths, the theology, all of it, they all bleed through in some way or another. Yeah. So that if it, within popular consciousness, we do have this complete co uh, composite of Dracula, um, and I find that personally fascinating. I think that's why it survived. It survived yeah. through with the original text, survived through the actor's portrayal. But this pop cultural Pop, pop cultural composite which resides with all of us because if you say dracula you'll get at least six or seven different things that come from the mythologies and all the stories and all the films mm -hmm. so that's that's an that's an incredible thing very yeah. few very few um literary characters have that right yeah and, and yet when you consider that bram stoker wrote the novel and only included Dracula's voice, like twenty five percent of the time, and and it's, and it's funny. The uh, many people say that oh, Van Helsing is the most popular character in the novel, you know, and, and I've because he's so present in the novel. Yeah. But on the other hand, Dracula exists in all those characters, the central characters, the band of heroes. He exists in their minds in different iterations mm -hmm. for about half the book. And then until they finally figure out who he is yeah. with the help of 
of Mina. So it's a very, not only is it a theol theologic book, it's a, it's a feminist book. Mm. Bram Stoker's mother was a huge impact on him, as was mm. his sister. And, and I think that, that uh, Mina is personified, is the mother personified, the female activist, the modern woman. And, and so she is the one that is the glue that keeps everyone together. Mm -hmm. and, that, and, and Bram is, is really putting that, putting that point of view strongly very forward when Van Helsing says, you, you, there are lights and there are darknesses. You mm -hmm. are the light of all lights. She's the one that used the typewriter. She's the one that figures out mm -hmm. what's going on. And then, and then that Dracula character becomes more understood in the story, but still he exists in everyone's thoughts and worries and concerns. Yeah. And, and again, that's why I think he's so adaptable mm -hmm. to so many different types mm -hmm. of images. And even, even you know, from Orlock to your grandfather to Christopher Lee, and then if you skyrocket forward to, you know, Luke Evans, or even, any of you guys seen the Last Voyage of the Demeter yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so I, I do want to touch on that here in a little bit, yes. Okay, well, well, I'll let you get back to it, because don't, but Lynn, oh. I highly recommend it. It's a throwback, yeah. it's a throwback to what's well, chapter seven of Dracula, yeah. but the, the Dracula in it, is goes goes way back to even orlock and worse right. you know well so. that's what you know when uh when legendary comics decided to do uh the graphic novel of dracula starring bela lugosi you know we there was that uh big discussion because in the book and it's it's a very good uh adaptation right of the the novel in in graphic novel form and uh we went back and forth on what Bela should look like. Should he look like the image that everybody has of him or should we try to make him look like Stoker's description? And the description is pretty vague actually, you know, other than the long, right? The, the white yeah. uh, beard and the long robes. So we, we kind of did a, a mashup of that with Bela, not in a tuxedo, but in the long robes with the long fingernails and we aged him from, yeah. you know, the beginning of the book to the end, uh, he, he got younger. So we, we tried to do that, but it was difficult because- And you gave, and you gave him fangs, and which we gave is him interesting. Fangs, which, he never, which he never wore in any of his drac portrayals right. of Dracula. Now I understand that, is that, is it true? I mean, maybe you can, um sort of, you know, come, come clean on this myth. Is it because uh -huh. the censors were tough on the films and the stage or, or was it a personal choice because he couldn't speak so well with the, with the with fangs the on? You know, I actually, in like hearing people speak about Jack Pierce and his makeup and, and Bela's portrayal, I've never heard that they even crafted fangs for him. I've never, right. I've never heard that. I know that they, they only show blood when uh, Renfield pricks his finger, but that's, and that's right. the only blood. And I think part of that was they could only show a certain amount of, yeah. of, of gore. I think it was 1958 when they had blood on Christopher Lee's mouth. Chris uh -huh. McCauley, wasn't that, wasn't that the time when the censorship allowed blood on the, on the guy's mouth? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the Dagger and I are writing this like, encyclopedic book on vampire cinema at the uh -huh. minute and mm -hmm. it is a labor of love <laughs> uh, and i can tell you yeah that was it was uh it was 58 mate you're 100 right yeah. yeah so that's a that's a lot of years after 1931. <laughs> yeah no that that's right um so yeah sorry, but you know i want to touch touch a little bit too you know 
on not just um, maybe when we're talking about the classic monsters, not just necessarily Bram Stoker's book, but I think that from my perspective, talking to you know not only fans of Bela but fans of of the classic monsters, you know, there's there's something relatable to the monsters to people. You know, whether um, you know people feel like uh, an, an outcast in some way, uh, they can relate to this. They can relate to the monster struggle. Like, you know, in in Dracula, Bela says, to be dead, how to be really dead, how glorious, you know. So you can tell that there's some struggle here that, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be the undead. He doesn't want to. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that is, of course, with Frankenstein's monster, people relate to this monstrous side or this this outcast, being outcast. And then that's one side and then one completely different, you know, uh, draw to especially Bela's character and to Dracula and vampires is it's sexy. You know, and sure. I think, too, yeah. that's why, uh, you know, Bela, Bela had a lot of fans that were women and still to this day, you know, there's equal um, people, people that love Bela, are both men and women. The swoon factor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So more so like I think with like, you know, I don't see it as much maybe and I'm not as into it of like the creature, you know, or the monster. I think it, right. a yeah. lot more fan women are fans of uh, Bela and Dracula. Well, and, and for different reason. I mean, who, who would really want to sort of have a, a wonderful candlelight dinner and, and dance a waltz with Frankenstein or the Swamp Thing, you know, <laughs> right. with, with Bela? You know, that's 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 what it is. That's what yeah. everyone sort of looks for, even though it might end with, you know, a little a little right. bit of bloodshed and right. a little bit of immortality. You know, that that's, yeah. it is it is sexier. But no, you know, you're right. That is a that's a, a key element. And and again, Chris and I have talked about this, even my, uh, my cousins, Bram's great grandsons, you know, talk about, you know, how sexy was the novel. Right. And, and as a matter of fact, it was fairly, you know, yeah. pretty risque when, right. when back in the day, you know, late 1800s, you have a woman sort of exposing that neck and yeah. sort of, you know, the blood exchange, that that sort of thing. Right. Um, and, and even the fact that Lucy is, you know, fairly promiscuous. Yeah. Um, when when it when it's Mina is not, um, that was sort of a, a risque part that, that mm -hmm. Bram brought to it. And so uh in the 31, you know, you had those the the, the three brides, you know, in right. their kind of sheer negligees, and they right. go on later and on that. My God, when when Ingrid Pitt is wearing his negligee, <laughs> yeah. there's not much to the imagination right. you know, underneath all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I've listened now to the backstory of like the Irish folklore and you know some of the trans, you know basically where Brahm was getting all of his notes, I think. You know, to touch on Chris's point about, you know, Dracula needed to change and, you know, adapt. I, I think part of what has made him this this long lasting character is he truly is the like quintessential melting pot monster because there is so much taken from everywhere and just people keep adding to it. You know, it's 
it's funny because you take Frankenstein's monster, who is literally a pile of parts. <laughs> yep. And doesn't really have the longevity that Dracula, who is just metaphorically a pile of parts, has. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you take the Irish folklore, you put it to a Transylvanian backdrop, and you have a much darker image than you, you would have had than just 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 playing with imagery, you know, because when people picture Transylvania, it's automatically darker than what people picture as Ireland, you know, Ireland's green and flowing and, you know, Transylvania is just always dark, you know, no matter how you picture it, it's just always dark, <laughs> you know. It's not true, but that's how you picture it. <laughs> yeah, sure. that, that's the that, that's the image we have of it. I'm sure the the, the uh, Romanian tourist board would love to hear that. <laughs> so they, they've got to hate it, but <laughs> you know, that's that's what get people to go there, though. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to go there. I'm I'm actually banned. I'm I can't go there. Why I, can't you go there? So yeah, so there there's the I have. This is this, this is a funny thing about me, right? So, I can't wear silver because it, it actually it warps. So silver rings and stuff warp my skin. Uh huh. I have a serious garlic allergy. <laughs> um, they're, they're, and, yeah, and the sunlight, the sunlight burns and, them. And, and it doesn't burn me; it just turns my skin slightly grey. It doesn't sparkle or anything. So I've got all these <laughs> sort of strange sort of. The conditions, and most of it is because I'm Irish. Like the Irish don't necessarily have the gene to. Uh, we don't eat a lot of garlic. We actually, honestly, use garlic to wall up graves. So there's another reason why garlic was used in, in Dracula. We used it to. We don't. We didn't use a lot of it in our food. It's. It's not. It wasn't something I grew up with. So I didn't have. I didn't have the the enzymes basically to process it. But then uh, a Romanian friend of mine finds out all this, and then it's like you can't. You can't go to Romania. You can't ever go. It's, There's no protection, man. There's no protection. Well, it's take it's still taken very seriously. I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, that she has she has an effigy of uh, Vlad the Impaler, who's a saint, a Catholic saint in, in yeah. Romania. She's got an effigy of that in one of her rooms. It's it's all taken incredibly seriously when you think about the the Romanian mm-hmm. thing about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's there you go. There's a there's a fact about me that I have all these things, and that's uh, that's why I can't go to <laughs> Romania. So uh, Romanian tourist board must love me. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, well, Dacre and I will take you virtually on the tour with us. That's right. We'll we'll go there That'll with little fun. cameras with our little cameras <laughs> on our hands. We'll that's it. And we'll send it. Go. We send it back to you, Chris. That's it. Sounds good. And then you just show up on a blank screen. Really screw with them. <laughs> well, listen. I was there last year with Victoria Price and her fan group, and we had a great time. The the, the weather would have been good for you, Chris, because there there was about probably half the time it was. You know, we were up in the mountains, though. It was very cool, cloudy, misty. We actually mm-hmm. went to the location in the Kalamani National Park. Um, northeastern Transylvania, right by the Moldavian border, uh, ironically, about 30 miles past the Borgo Pass. Uh-huh. Um, that was the location where Bram actually set his fictional Castle Dracula. Uh-huh. There. And, and we hiked up into the mountains there. And, um, yeah. you know, one one of the things that I do, Lynn, a lot like you is, you know, protect your dad's 
uh, grandfather's uh, legacy. And, and I've placed mm -hmm. a plaque up on the side of this volcano uh, wow. with, with, with the, a permission, with permission yes. from, the, yeah. from the government <laughs> to say this is the location based on Bram's notes of his fictional Castle uh, Dracula. Yeah. Uh, there, there is no castle there, but there certainly was a volcano. So I don't wow. know. It, it, it never, this stuff that Chris and I deal with are things that were taken out of the type, typescript, taken out of the notes, little yeah. known facts. But I'll share one with you now is that the mm -hmm. original ending of the novel was going to involve a volcanic eruption. Ah. And so it's right after right after in the novel when the band of heroes actually stab the count with a bowie mm -hmm. knife and slit his throat, yeah. a volcano would have erupted. And Bram Stoker was so detail-oriented in everything he did in life, being mm -hmm. a clerk in Petty Sessions legal department yeah. and theatrical manager, that he did the research and found an extinct volcano in the northeastern part of the country, very near the Wargo Pass, called Mount Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's his location. That he just he had to get right. it just right right so uh, you know imagine if and, and this is this this may shock you but if if everything went according to plan we don't know who actually cut out this ending either bram or his um his editor yeah you know it, it could have been a very definitive ending for for dracula right uh, and, and and not that that story wouldn't have continued but you know further dracula's and <laughs> Stoker Macaulay bringing him back in our graphic novels. It would have been harder return. to do had he, if he had been burned <laughs> up in a volcano. Absolutely. As yeah. it is, we've got some pretty cool creative ways to utilize right. that volcano to right. our advantage, as as <laughs> authors so do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it, it was interesting, and, that, and those are kind of cool things we find out. I'm mm -hmm. I'm wondering, Lynn, if if I may, mm -hmm. can you share with us any really cool inside stories on on your your, your grandfather and his life? um you know how he how he got out of the country and and how it, i know it wasn't easy for him to get established here as a as a mm -hmm. as an actor was it well well uh you know i'll have to that's that is a story i don't know if it's a story for for uh this this interview but it, yeah he he had to es escape uh his country hungary under threat of death he found himself uh on the wrong side of the government and he was a wanted guy. So uh, yeah, he, he didn't leave the Hungary of his own choice. Um, he, he was married at the time and they fled the country, you know, within hours of being warned that they were on this, this blacklist and went to Germany and made films there and then came to this country via Italy, Trieste, Italy on a, like a cargo ship. Wow. Yeah, so he came in through New Orleans and, you know, declared his status of, you know, you know, needing to come into the country for political reasons. And he made his way up to New York and found the Hungarian community there and eventually uh, officially immigrated through Ellis Island. Oh, boy. So I didn't know that. That's interesting that New Orleans was his first his first port of call. Yeah, he had to. The, he on the on the ship that he was on he was a crewman and uh some of the other um, people felt very strongly that he was uh his political views were not theirs as far as you know his his history of uh act, uh being an organizer union organizer and activist in in hungary 
and you know what's who he was affiliated with uh, at the time. And so he had to hide out in the in the ship. They, they had a few people on the ship that helped him hide hide from these other angry you know crew members. And wow. when they got into New Orleans Harbor, he they helped him get off the side and into a little a little dinghy boat. And he went out, and the the Coast Guard, you know, found him, and and he said, Gosh. "Take me." <laughs> that's a, Paul. That's a great segue into your last voyage of the Demeter, isn't it? I, I, I was going to say, let me get this straight. He not only played Dracula. He, he came yeah. here, stowed away in on a, a cargo ship. ship. In the ship. Hey, come on. <laughs> yeah, you know, and apparently what? it was a pretty rough sea, seas getting there, so it wasn't a pleasant trip. <laughs> Oof, God. Right. That's amazing. Paul, so, so if, yeah. if I didn't lead you into the last voyage of the Demeter, right. I don't know what did. So Yeah, no, this was a, you know, blockbuster year for uh, – uh dracula i mean two movies came out in 2023 it was renfield and uh last voyage of the demeter i did see renfield and i enjoyed it i thought it was entertaining and both of them and this is where i got kind of got the idea for this episode tie back to uh, obviously demeter ties directly to the Stoker family, but they both tie to both families. Renfield, uh, Nicholas Cage's Dracula is a variation on Bela's Dracula. Uh, so that was, that was really interesting to see. Like it was, a modern, basically fast forward modern time. It was Bela's Dracula in modern age. So, but that, in New Orleans, just as Lynn said, I mean that's the thing. It's in New Orleans, and here he is in New Orleans in the show. I know. In the movie. <laughs> yeah, I thought that I I didn't know when I when I saw when I saw it for the first time. I didn't know that that's where it took place, and so I thought that was very interesting. And I was wondering if who whoever you know wrote the script had read they you know, at least the original yeah. biography to know that that's that's where he came in through and then we have curse of the demeter and it's you, you do see a much darker dracula much more like orlockian style um it, it's not the suave sexy vampire that you know you're used to seeing when you see dracula it's more bat-like, more, you know, very much more Nasratu style. Until the end. Right. The very end. When Don't spoil it now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. He's, he's going to okay. be careful. I know he is. No, it's okay. I, I'm curious now. Well, obviously, you know, he survived, he survives the trip. But when you see Dracula later... There, there is. He, he, he looks very similar to the Bela design. So he hmm. went from the vampire, just this dark creature of the night, mm -hmm. to 
all right, now I need to blend in with people. Now I'll be suave. I'll be sophisticated. And you, you get shades of Bela. You get shades of the 31 Dracula. And you're just like, what the what? <laughs> Why is this still happening? <laughs> I mean, I love so it. Either, Don't get me even, wrong. So even more of a transformation than the Coppola film. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it, it was, it, it was great to see. You know, here we are. God, how many years later? And it's still, that's still the archetype. Mm-hmm. You know, when Dracula has to, you know, fit in with Upper Crest London, it's Bela Lugosi. You know, it just, it, it, it threw me. Yeah, interesting. Who better? I, I, I like the film. Actually, I, mm-hmm. a funny thing happened to me. A friend of mine, uh, Aaron Sagers, who does a lot of interviewing people, he said, Dacre, I just had a uh, chat with people at NBC Universal, and because of the actor strike and the writer strike, there can be no promotion for this. And this is in August. And so he said, would you would you be interested in talking to these people and doing a, a screening? So I live near Augusta, Georgia. I'm in the South Carolina side. So they, they contact me and said, you know, get 20 or 30 of your friends and head on over that movie at that movie theater next week and we'll get a private screening for you and we'd love you guys to comment on it. So, so it was like, okay. And, um, you know, I'm told like with a day to go what time it's going to be and what, what theater it was all very sort of last minute. And it was really quite cool, guys, because I have not been in a movie theater since COVID. And so I didn't realize you know, some of these places have really big, comfortable chairs, you know, with, with, with <laughs> like la- lazy boy chairs that extend. Oh, my God, it was wonderful. And it was just like like 12 of us in this great theater. It was, you know, it was a very dark, claustrophobic kind of feel. And and as we discussed afterwards, you know, we all knew the book and just wondered how close it was going to be to the novel. Um, since Chapter 7 is the voyage of the Demeter and you get little mm-hmm. bits and pieces of the ship's log. So there's not a whole lot to go on. But we all knew what the ending should be. We just didn't know if it was going to be that way because, you know, many movies do stray from the book. In this case, it stayed fairly close to it. Um, and and I, thought it, I thought it was good. The thing that really irritated me, how nowadays movies are judged and how well they do on the first weekend in the box office. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like so easy to just diss it because, mm-hmm. oh, it only made $34 million yeah. and... You know, Barbie made $84 million and it's like, okay, does that make it a bad movie? That's the easy, easy poaching right? Um, for that. And and it was like, give this, give, give this a chance. You know, it's classic horror, like, like our family's life, <laughs> Lynn, you yeah. know, like it's give it some longevity. It's not going to be a flash in the pan. And, 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 you know, then I see that what about a month later it's gone on streaming, um, so hopefully it'll have a have another life there. Well, and I um, thought it was weird that they went for an August release and not yeah, like September October. That that that's the question. I, and I, so close and so close to Renfield, right? Wasn't it? And they're, and they're yeah. so different. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. like night and day. So, you know, it was two very different Dracula movies, mm-hmm. and. It's one, you know, Renfield was 
happy and campy, more, a little action-y, and it was kind of like an action comedy. And then you have the Demeter, which is horror. Like, a very classic horror movie. Mm-hmm. And you can't put those back to back. Yeah. There has to be some breathing room between those two movies. One of them is bound to fail. And they were both amazing movies. Hmm. Well, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it now, but um, maybe it's a question of, you know, will The Last Voyage of the Demeter have longevity as far as uh, streaming? You know, what how how many people can watch that rather than go back and watch one film? Well, and I yeah, I, I think- also think the strike heard it as well because no one yeah. you couldn't promote it right uh, and it also had a distribution problem in, in uk yep like it was supposed to it was supposed to i don't think it's ever been out there yet i i don't know chris do you know oh. if 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 because i know for about the first month it it couldn't it couldn't go to the uk yeah it's in google uk no massive distribution issues i mean that that caused yeah. a problem uh and then you know yeah people people lost interest I think that was the, that was another yeah. problem that people I could see a new lease of life life on DVD. It's only right. fun to do, you know. Um, I remember when I watched it, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good, you know. I thought it was uh, it was an interesting take on it all. I mean, you're you're seeing the bestial side of Dracula yeah. film, you know. Um, it's something like we're we're really looking at in the Stoker verse is that is that really dark, uh, animalistic, evil narcissist, you know. Like there's no light in Dracula at all. There's nothing there. He he is an evil narcissist. He um, you know, is 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 pretty much a monster. He's, he's incredibly intelligent. Don't get me wrong. He's the he's the spider that kind of traps people in his web. Um, but you know, it's that almost pure evil form that you see in the the Demeter. That yeah comes up and i think that's that's very powerful because we haven't seen that we have not seen that in a long time i mean i personally am not scared of dracula in any of the films but if you were if you encountered something like like that creature that was coming for you and you know yeah and in in the night in the dark that that was coming for you and it was relentless and it was it's it, it's it's some very powerful imagery and great cinematography in that yeah. film as well and you could feel all the, cre- the the creaking of the of the boards yeah you know, in, in, of the ship apparently yeah. they made some massive massive set in malta to to make that happen uh, i read an interview with the director and it was it was it was not easy you know they and they did they had to do some cgi but you know nowadays it's all about hope you know oh it's great the cgi was amazing these car wrecks and everything else or oh god all it is is cgi you know so it's hard to satisfy everybody mm-hmm. i think i think what it comes down to you know what, what it really comes down to is you know good acting good story arc and uh you know good good tension um, and the, you know and the acting was on point the the, the spaced I, I think the space the kills out perfectly uh, and the way they did them were amazing. Uh, the, 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 they took you as a viewer on that ride. 
Mm. You know, you're invested with the characters. You're there's a couple that, and since Lynn, you haven't seen it. I... No, go yeah. ahead. You, 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 <laughs> you don't want to see go, but they uh-huh. ultimately end up going, and it's it's gut wrenching. Mm. Yeah, no, you know, it is. You feel for them, and yeah. for me, that's the mark of a good movie or a good story mm-hmm. when they can pull you in that well to where when the character goes, you're just. It, I mean, it just hits you right in the gut. Mm-hmm. That's they. That is solid direction, and I had originally tried to line up uh, an interview about a month or two after the movie came out with the gentleman that played the first mate, David Desmalchin. He he's been on the show before. We've become pretty solid friends. But due to the strike, we can't talk. You know, I couldn't have him on, and it sucked because I was really happy he got this role. You know, because this—he's a huge classic monster fan. He, you know, he's—you know—he just loves classic horror. He grew up on the Universal stuff and movie monsters, and so this is almost like a dream role for him, and. He can't talk about it anywhere. I felt so bad for him. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. It's like I, I can't wait for the you know everything to be cleared so he can finally you know go out and talk about well, this role of a lifetime. <laughs> well, then maybe it'll have a resurgence then when people yeah. can talk about it. Right. Wow. Well. I mean, it's, you know, just the fact that we're having this discussion today in 2023 when Dacre, when was the book written? 1897, so 127 years ago, yeah. Yeah, and the Dracula film was 93 years ago. I mean, I mean, that speaks in and of itself to whatever the reasons are behind it, the power of this character, the power of Vela's portrayal say and here we are all that many years later and both camps have new things coming out let's start with Dacre and Chris let's talk about the Stokerverse where did that where all did that stem from well it's Chris had this great idea contacted me a couple years ago and said look we got to take the Stokerverse uh, we got we got to take Bram Stoker's Dracula and create a universe around it because it's it's all disconnected. There's so many different directions, and let's let's pull it back together, and create a range of products uh, where it hasn't gone. Obviously, literary it's it, it's it's done quite well, but you know, of course, I'd already done the prequel and the sequel, and Chris was really into the in, into games, graphic novels, audio stories, and so he said, "Look, I've got experience and background in this area. Are you willing to?" Go there. I've got great contacts, and uh, you know, lo and behold, Chris, give, give him the rundown. What what have we got to date? Because some of them are right behind my shoulder. And uh, yeah, uh, so we've yeah. got we've got a graphic novel called The Virgin's Embrace, which is uh, a revamp of Bram Stoker's uh, short story The Squaw. Um, I have to apologise for anybody who gets offended by the original title. It was of its time. Uh, we have an all-star audio drama called Voices of Dracula, so let's get some Doctor Who actors and Hollywood actors in there. 
we have a novel called Dracula's Bedlam, which is set in the asylum and takes place during Dracula, but we've also got characters like Jack the Ripper and other little characters in there that we've put in, new characters. Uh, we have our Dracula The Return, which is our uh, graphic novel series. Issue one is out and issue two is on Zoop now for our uh, funding campaign. So go and grab that. You will find out how Dracula returns and see how he is doing all his uh, dastardly deeds to gain revenge on the band of heroes that stopped him the first time. We've also got a RPG game uh, that's been a runaway success bestseller. It's behind Decker there. It's it's been a bestseller uh, in all the uh, various gaming conventions in the UK, Europe, and it is now uh, in America. We have a miniature war game that came out where you can play in Dracula's universe, a little bit like Warhammer. Uh, so a lot of little miniature figures and stuff like that with some new campaigns and one campaign that was written by Degra and myself based on um, some elements of Dracula that were removed from the original book. And we have a upcoming video game coming out next year. Uh, you can grab a demo of that um, uh, at uh, Incubate. So it's I-N-C-U-B-8 um, games. And if you search for Dracula Dark Rain, you will be able to download the demo. And we have more coming out in the next couple of years. But yeah, that's enough. That's probably enough to say for now, right? Absolutely. I'm trying to take. I'm trying to take notes really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I send them to work you. on this stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> the whole idea is, is is bringing back, you know, bits and pieces that Bram left out or was in his notes that didn't make its way into the novel, um, and and just sort of keep things alive in in that universe. You know, even characters that, like for instance, Arthur Conan Doyle was a very good friend of of Bram's, so we integrate some of the things in Sherlock Holmes' universe. Um, based on the, you know, the research that we found, how these guys are connected. So, uh, yeah, Stokerverse is alive and well, and bringing back Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's now, awesome. I, I, I do want to ask the uh, video game. What's the uh, play style like? Like, what's the uh, video game? It's Metroidvania. It's essentially a Metroidvania game. Yeah, there's there's those elements to it. So, you start off as Jonathan Harker. You're escaping the castle, and that's the prologue. And then we move forward into World War II. Because the reason I asked is, as you're growing the Stokerverse, and with as popular as everything is, there's been this kind of boom in, like you saw it with the Friday the 13th game, the now the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, where you can pit, you know, essentially... You know, for like the Friday the 13th game, it was the counselors trying to uh, escape Jason. Or so you played as the counselors or as Jason. I think something like that in the set in the world of Dracula would be phenomenal. Where you can play as Dracula or as some of the characters that, you know, people know and love trying to take out Dracula or escape Dracula would be an amazing platform video game. Well, you never know, Paul. Let's let's see what happens in the future. Well, right. Yeah. You know, just there, there as, as, as you're there, talking about all this, it's like, man, that'd be cool. <laughs> there are things in the works that, you know, when you sign an NDA, we can't yeah, talk about can. some of it. Right. So we'll just say, 
we're taken under advisement, Paul. We'll put it that way, okay? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and Lynn, yeah, you guys are working on a very, very cool, like the the essential Lugosi legacy uh, biography. Yes, yes, it's been a, a a long time in the making for the author, for sure, because uh, he first uh, released a book with my dad and grandmother's permission and, and assistance in 1976. And it just didn't really get the distribution that it required, uh, you know, or, or actually deserved uh, for various reasons, mishaps with the publisher at the time. But it, it also had a restriction on the page count and how many photos could be included. And so, you know, it, as I started working with my dad and running the Lugosi business and trying to do some other legacy projects, it just kept coming back to me that in reading other people's biographies, which were really, really good. I mean, there's some that are very well researched and factual and others that have um, perpetuated, you know, rumors, falsehoods, misinformation. So we, I really wanted uh, Robert Kramer's book to get out there because he spent so much time with my grandmother and he has interviews that nobody else has um, from Bela's family, friends, and colleagues that really tells the story of, of who Bela was. And so we finally found a publisher who could publish it in the way that we wanted, which would be a beautiful hardcover oversized book with lots of pictures. So I had the honor of curating those pictures, which now there's over 700. And so it, it, wow. it tells his story uh, in pictures as well as in text. And, and in fact, we have uh, a lot of people helped us out and Dacre gave a wonderful interview to the author and shared with us some documents that would help tell the story of uh, Bram Stoker's book as it kind of related to, to Bela's growing up and the folklore that he was exposed to. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And in, ad you know, addition to that, we have our uh, pretty robust licensing program. So we have a lot of different, uh, to you know, toys, figures, shirts, you know, things that, um, things that help us keep Bela's legacy alive with fans. And it's been really fun for me. I, I enjoy working with the licensees because most of them are fans and so they their products are just really great and they back dicker said he just bought the the ornament that was recently released Un unprompted lynn unprompted yeah. i just thought it was so cool yeah and i actually bought i bought three of them because my children my two kids think it's pretty cool and they've got okay. grandchildren so i think it, it, it might i mean just the perfect right. bellow with the with the wings up right. there and then shameless plug you get to take the thing off the tree and put it on a little stand magnetically right. for the rest of the year so yeah brilliant yeah. brilliant marketing right. and great licensing good for you lynn oh good yeah well i just i want to touch also on if you know part of my trying to keep the you know document the family history and and bela's filmography we we are trying to acquire as many of bela's films on on film you know whether it's 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter and we've donated those films to the Bela Lugosi collection at the Academy Film Library. So it's my my goal 
I know a lot of other libraries have uh, copies or, or better copies maybe, but we'll I want to have all of, as much as I can of his film work in one place. And, um, you know, I, that, I think that's important for, for the history to have that together. So we've been working on that. And then of course, I think Dacre knows and Paul, you might know that the, the cape that was with the family, my grandfather's screen worn cape is, is now at the Academy Museum and hopefully will be exhibited soon. But that was that was cool. a, a big deal for the family. But we're able to feel like it will be shared with the world now. And we we replicated that cape in a, a costume version. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's it is a true uh, replica of the cape. And when we take it places and let people try it on, just Paul, like you were saying, when you know people put the cape over their eyes and 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 they they say the words in Bela's voice, people just become him. They just like he his vibe comes through that cape, even though it's a costume cape. So it's, that's really been a, a fun fun project to to have that available to people. Yeah, no, it's great. And guys, this has been. I, I couldn't have asked for a better episode. It's been educational. It's been fun. Um, Chris, glad I got to meet you. I want to have you on a couple more a couple more times, so we're going to talk. Um, oh, sounds ominous. Is it? Ominous, isn't it? Like, I want to have you on a couple of times. But yeah, that's grand. No problems. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... <laughs> Like as you were talking, I was like, I have a couple ideas for a couple episodes with you, so I'll, I'll shoot you a message. Um, Lynn Daker, you, you you both know how much I love you, and it's you know, I've had you on separately. It's great to ha have you on together after you know connecting the two of you and everything. It's you know, sharing the the love for all things classic horror and everything for your family. And before we wrap this up, why don't you guys tell people where they can find the products? Dacre, you want to go first? Yeah. Well, Chris and I have started uh, stokerverse.com. Um, that's our newest website. I've also got bramstokerstate.com where my books are. And you can also follow me on Facebook, Dacre Stoker Author, and Instagram, Dacre Stoker Author. And Lynn, where can everyone find things, all things Legosi? Yeah. Well, we, we try to promote any licensed products on Instagram and Facebook. And that's uh, Facebook is Bela Legosi Official, and Instagram is Real Bela Legosi. And then right now, there's a, a Kickstarter going for the biography that they're offering just beautiful uh, deluxe edition copies and really, really cool extras that you'll only be able to get uh, during the Kickstarter. So um, that is live now on Kickstarter. And the, the name of the, the book is Bela Lugosi, The Man Behind the Cape. And so you can search that and find more information. The author and I have been doing some interviews and those are out on social media and, and some of the fan websites too. And listeners, of course, those links will all be in the episode description. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. Or if you're just looking for me, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, 
and now YouTube at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. Like I said, guys, I couldn't have asked for a better 100th episode. This has been more than I could have hoped for, and I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to hang out today. Well, Paul, thank you. I mean, if it, if it weren't for you and people like you that uh, take the time and that have the interest in, in interviewing us and helping us extend the legacy of my grandfather and uh, Bram Stoker's book, it, you know, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are without, without you. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. I couldn't say it better. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much for all your interest. All right. And until next time, Horror Hounds, mash on. <laughs>